Major Lindsay and Africa presents Bouncing Back, conversations about resilience for lawyers. Welcome to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. This podcast is brought to you by Major Lindsay in Africa, the global leader in legal search and consulting. I'm your host, Rebecca Glasser. I'm a managing director in the associate practice group at Major Lindsay in Africa. In this podcast, you'll hear me speak to successful professionals about the hiccups, bumps, bruises, and setbacks they've experienced in their careers and personal lives. And you'll learn how they ultimately bounced back from those experiences to thrive. Today, my guest is Solomon Laguerre, Corporate Counsel, Employment Law at the Home Depot, the largest home improvement retailer in the United States. Prior to joining the Home Depot, Solomon practiced employment law at Baker Hostetler and Seifarth Shaw. He is a graduate of the Florida State University College of Law, where he's an adjunct professor, and Solomon sits on the boards of the Georgia Haitian American Chamber of Commerce and the Haiti Education and Resource Team. Solomon, thank you for being my guest today. Thank you, Rebecca, for having me. Absolutely. So you've mentioned to me before, uh, we had a prior conversation where you said the LSAT was a bit of a hurdle for you in getting into law school. You took the LSAT in anticipation of going to law school, but didn't do very well the first time. What happened? Yeah, and so, you know, one of the things, for me, as as someone who who you know whose English is 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 his second language, I, I was never good at at any kind of, of standardized testing or any kind of testing. Um, and and so going into the LSAT, you know, someone with my background, where you know you're going in with with having heard people telling you, you know, getting into a good law school is probably a a long shot and and to have a plan b um you know because because of that background um and and so i went i went in you know i did all the preparation i took the prep course um and and i and i studied hard i studied very hard and i prepared for a long time and um it, it's funny you know people don't 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 know this many people don't know this story uh you know i think People who know me, who've known me for the past maybe five, five, six, seven years, think that I've always, I've always had it together, and that I've kind of cruised <laughs> through my educational and, and 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 professional life, and that that hasn't always been the case. And so um, I took the LSAT, and and I went home after I took the test for for the holidays, and I think the results came back. It, it was. Maybe a few days before Christmas, I don't recall exactly, but it was sometime in December during the holidays. I remember being home in South Florida um, at my parents' house, and the test results came back, and and I completely just bombed it. Um, the score uh, was pretty bad, um, and you know at that at that moment, I I mean I was completely just just devastated really um and i remember getting in my car immediately after <laughs> and i was i was attending college in tampa at the time at usf and i told my my parents and my siblings that i'm going back to tampa 
um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the books again just because I completely, completely bombed that test. You know, it wasn't one of the, it wasn't one of my best, one of my best moments. Yeah, no, totally. So you're home from college. You had taken this exam that you had hoped would pave the way to going to law school and you're home with your mom and dad for Christmas and you have uh, three other siblings. Is that correct? I have two siblings. Correct. Yeah, so you're you're there with the siblings, you get the scores, and you just like leave. <laughs> you're like I I I can't stand being here. I need to like go be myself and sort of uh, <laughs> figure out what I'm what I'm gonna do next. Um, which leads me to you know, the language barrier obviously wasn't gonna go away. What's your your native tongue is French or Haitian Creole or or both? So. Both. I speak uh, fluent in Haitian Creole. Um, used to be fluent in French, not so much anymore, but I speak both Creole and French, yes. Gotcha, gotcha, yes. So, you know, that that's obviously not going to change, right, Talmud, you know, between the first taking of the exam and the second. I, I'm curious, you know, kind of what was going through your mind and what you did, uh, you know, to sort of triumph the second time, because you obviously did. You got into a great law school and you became a practicing lawyer. So. What, you know, what was sort of going through your mind and what did you do differently, um, you know, when you took it the second time? Yeah, so one of the interesting things is, you know, as as I'm in the car, I'm driving back to Tampa, you know, you know, the, the doubt does start creeping back into your mind because, again, you, you've heard, you know, people tell you that, look, you, you, you moved here at 12 years old, you, you really you didn't become fluent in English that long ago, um, you know, getting into a good law school is, is not going to be easy. And, and so that doubt does start creeping back into into your mind as if, you know, am I really cut out, cut out for this, you know, because I prepared a lot and I studied a lot. Um, but again, I think what gave me confidence that I was going to do better the second time is because of the preparation I know that I put in. Um, that last time around and the amount of studying that I did. Um, and so I drove back to Tampa, you know, as I stated, it was the holidays, got back on campus. There really was no one else on campus. I remember um, just finding one of the buildings that was open at the time and I just kind of set up, set up shop um, yes. right there and, and, and just went back through the material, um, went back through the material, <laughs> went back to practicing again, went back to studying again. Um, and I think, you know, the the, the next time the test was going to be administered was, was February. So I had a couple months to, you know, refresh and, and get ready and prepare again. And I was, you know, believe it or not, as bad as I did that first time around, I, I was still confident because I, I know I put in the work. And, and you know, I don't know what happened the first time, but um, I knew the second time that, that I, I was going to do much better. And, 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 you know, ultimately, you know, I did and, and, you know, <laughs> the rest is history. Yeah, no, that's great. The rest is history. And, and you did well the second time and were able to get into a good law school. Wanted to go back to um, something that we sort of alluded to, but not sort of, you know, kind of spend a lot of detail on. Um, so you immigrated to the U.S. from Haiti with your uh, mom and your siblings um, at the age of 12. Um, would you tell our listening audience, um, you know, about that experience and, 
kind of how everything went down with regard to, um, you know, your father coming here first, followed by your mom and you and your siblings. Yeah, absolutely. My dad, Katie, when I was, I'd say probably two years old. And um, like a lot of Haitians at the time, Haitian males, he got on a boat um, and made his way over to the Bahamas in search of, you know, a better life for his family. Um, at the time, it was my older brother was, uh, was a couple years older than me. And um, my mom was probably either pregnant with my younger sister at the time or she had just given birth to my younger sister. So just to kind of think about you know, the, the desperation that that people um, you know, go through at times um, when you know, you're looking at a wife with, with, with babies and then you not quite sure how you're gonna feed them and take care of them and you have to get on the boat to, to go to another country. To to, right. to to at least have the opportunity to do that. Imagine yeah. the imagine the sacrifice of leaving a wife with, with three babies and and then and then head to a different land. What pushes yeah. someone to do something to do something like that, right? Right, um, right, right. Imagine what the alternative was for stay, you know, for staying. If you're going to risk it in that way, um, and and was was your dad by himself or was it him and a few other people? It was him and some others. Uh, typically, there's, there's someone who arrange, arranges those trips, and you know they once they get a group of people who who you know you pay some kind of money, and you know they they they, they arrange the trip, and there's a group of them that that make make the voyage from Haiti um over over to the Bahamas. Yeah. And you know my so my dad did, and and I think he maybe spent a couple of years over there came back to Haiti because things didn't work out in the Bahamas. And not, not soon after he got back to Haiti, um, he got on another boat. This time he made his way over to, to South Florida in Miami. And um, you know, he got here to the States and um, you know, worked all kinds of odd jobs, you know, dishwasher. Uh, you know, at the time, my dad he was on he was undocumented, so he didn't have his papers yet. So a lot of time he was, you know, being paid under the table, so to say, right? Um, yes. And yes. You know, just work all kinds of odd jobs that you can think of to to send money, uh, you know, back home to Haiti. And ultimately, my dad worked his way up to becoming a U.S. citizen. And when he became a U.S. citizen, he applied for myself and my mother and my siblings to uh, come over here and join them in the States. And, and that happened in, in September of 1997. Wow. So how many years, give or take, between, I mean, there was this stint, there was this period of time where your dad was in Bahamas trying to make it, it you know, he wasn't able to kind of make the money and make it work the way that he wanted to. So that was a period of time. And then he comes back and sort of almost turnarounds and leaves almost immediately um, to go to South Florida. Do you recall how long he was apart from you and your siblings and your mom, you know, that when, when he came to the U.S. and was working on getting U.S. citizenship? Yeah, I would say uh, about a good decade, right? Um, wow. And wow. I think a few, you know, before he became a citizen, he um, – amnesty and was in fact uh, uh, and became documented and, and, and so at that point he was able to um, come back and visit 
before he applied to bring the rest of us over. And so a couple of, a couple of I would say a few years before we, all of us ended up uh, moving from Haiti here to the state, um, at that point, my dad was able to kind of go back and forth and visit a couple of times a year. But in total, overall, it was about a good decade where, you know, my mom was living separate from my dad and the rest of us were, were living separate from my dad. Gotcha. Living separate from your dad in Haiti, uh, which is not a quick uh, trip back to the U.S., and also raising four kids uh, on her own um, while your dad is, is, is attempting to establish citizenship. Do you remember, um, you know, what the conversation was like when you were 12 and, you know, it's like time to go, like time to pick up and move to another country? Do you remember what that experience was like? Yeah, I mean, I do recall the experience. So we were when when we reached the point where we we knew it was going to be time um, to to kind of pack up and go. That we we had about I would say a few months of of lead time where I knew there were some final steps in the process before we were able to you know board a plane and and and, and move here to the states. And we I grew up on the northern side of Haiti, uh, you know. Uh, in a city called Portipay on the northern side okay. of the northwest northwest side of the island. And so, um, you know, to fly out of Haiti at the time, uh, we had to fly out of the capital, Port-au-Prince, uh, to come here to the state. So we actually, uh, a few months before um, we ultimately boarded a plane to come to the states, all of us drove from Port-au-Prince and, and stayed in Port-au-Prince. So I had a had some family living there at the time where we basically lived with her for maybe three months um, as we waited for the final steps of the process. Um, yes. And I just recall just the anticipation of, you know, is the day finally going to come and are we really about to leave Haiti and, you know, the rest of our family behind. And so it was, it was kind of exciting and bittersweet moment, but really we're just looking forward to finally moving here, being with my dad, and then kind of starting over and starting a new life. Gotcha. So would you say it was like more excitement and less sadness at that point? You know, you're leaving family members, you're leaving friends that you probably grew up with and that sort of thing, but it was more of like excited anticipation <laughs> to be reunited with your father. Definitely more excitement, right? I mean, we're, we're, we, we know that the opportunities here, were, you know, were endless, and 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 I grew up in Haiti, seeing cousins, uncles, you know, you know, aunts who are older than me, and and they've they've sacrificed to get through school, and still nothing comes of it because there are no jobs, and they're still kind of uh, relying on on, on other people who lives abroad to send them a few dollars every month just so they can survive, right? And so I, I witnessed the poverty uh, uh, and, and, and stuff like that. And so it was really just exciting to, to be able to finally go somewhere where, you know, in a, in a sad way you're leaving home, but you're going somewhere where you hear about how endless the opportunities are and that fresh start to be able to, um, you know, uh, take advantage of, 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 of those things that are offered here. And, and so, yeah, so we're really looking forward to it. Absolutely, absolutely. 
So you guys get to South Florida. Um, I'm reunited with your dad, you know, but you English is not uh, the first language. <laughs> and I'm sure there's some like cultural shock, uh, probably. Um, do you remember, you know, kind of what that was like in terms of, you know, the language? I mean, you're 12, you're not three learning English for the first time, right? Or, you know, getting getting better with English. Um, you know, I was curious how that experience was for you with the language barrier and sort of the kind of cu cultural differences um, uh, coming to the U.S. as, you know, a young child. You know, the truth is it was brutal. Brutal. It was brutal. You know, there were, there were a lot of things that as a child I was not expecting um, when I moved here. and and. When we got here, obviously, you know, we didn't live in the best uh, part of, 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 of town, in the best neighborhood. And so we kind of had that to deal with. Um, also, you know, I didn't speak English, right? None of my siblings spoke English. And so now you're, you're going to school where now you're, you know, interacting with, with all these kids who, who speak English, who, or from here, and you know, at the time, you dress a little different because you you move, you just here from Haiti, so you still, you know you're not you're not accustomed to kids American fashion, right? Stuff like that. Right. And so, and and right. you come here, and you're just different, right? You're different right. from the Caucasian kids. You're different from the black kids. You're different from the. You're just different, right? right. And and you speak different. You sound funny as you you know as you as you try to kind of assimilate. And, right. and, you know, in, you know, I started, I came here, I started school in the sixth grade and, you know, kids in middle school, they can be cruel. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I and know. So, I know. <laughs> That's that the hormones are raging and they're trying to sort of deflect from themselves. So bullying is that it's like high peak <laughs> in middle school. Middle school is terrible um, in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And just arrive and it's like, oh, I can pick on these kids because they're different from the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so there was a lot of bullying and, and you know, there was a lot of fighting. Um, you know, as a kid, I, I, I was one who, <laughs> who always would, you know, stand up for myself and, 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 and my siblings. And so, yeah, I mean, middle school was not a great experience. It was, it was tough. No. It was a lot of a lot of bullying, a lot of fighting every day, um, but but through it all, thank God for for you know a few teachers who uh, recognized in me that there was something there, um, you know, more than just that 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 you know weird kid who doesn't speak English. Um, right. And and you know my mom, my mom always you know. At, even though she was alone raising us in Haiti, she did not mess around when it came to to education, and so she instilled that foundation in us early. And and so even when we came here, despite the fact that you know we, could, we couldn't speak English, um, you know I was able to to showcase to my teachers when it came to math, numbers are numbers, numbers are universal, right? Uh, I was able to show them like, look, <laughs> this kid. Actually, is kind of smart, and and so they saw that in me early, 
and and um, you know, they 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 took an interest in me and and they made sure that that I made it out of, of middle school uh, in good shape. And you know, when I messed around, when I got in trouble, they you know they took me home, uh, you know, made sure my dad knew, and and they just made sure I did what I was supposed to do. Um, you know, to, 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 to make it out of there. But um, it was, it was a tough three years for sure. I would say. Yeah, I bet. I bet. But you had this, like, it sounds like you had this like wonderful teacher parent community that, you know, saw promise in you and kind of galvanized to make sure that you, you know, kept moving in the right direction. Um, you know, you have said before um, in our previous conversations that, you know, uh, one of the things that perhaps you know went through your mind a couple of times, perhaps in college uh, when when the LSAT didn't go well, and you know at various times perhaps during law school and subsequently, you know that when uh, there was a setback of some sort, uh, something that didn't go your way, a hiccup, um, you know that the thought kind of went through your mind like it's going to be okay because I'm really not even supposed to be here right now. You know, I'm not supposed to be in the U S uh, you know, we, you know, had some good luck and some good fortune and landed here. And, you know, I've come so far. Uh, I'm paraphrasing your words here, Sullivan. Um, and, 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 and therefore, you know, if I quit now, now I've already sort of succeeded, not that I'm going to, but like, you know, anything on top of, you know, getting through, you know, going to college, graduating to college is kind of a cherry on the top, if you will, um, you know, because, you know, th th this was not supposed to happen in the first place. Um, I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing your words, but um, interested, you know, in, in how that line of thinking has um, impacted you, uh, you know, kind of going forward uh, because, you know, going to law school and finishing law school and taking the bar and then becoming a practicing attorney, none of these are easy things. Um, and I was wondering if you could kind of, you know, shed some light on your worldview based on everything that you've experienced and how that's like impacted your practice of being a lawyer. Yeah, you know, I just approach, I approach setbacks, um, I guess with a different perspective of setbacks or hardships however you want to call it. Uh, you know, so I, I almost didn't even go to college, right? Because I, I, I grew up kind of in an environment where you know, it wasn't my parents' fault. It's just that, you know, as, as immigrants, they just really had no knowledge of, of kind of what the education system is like here, how it functions, you know, higher education, how do you prepare to go there? How do you guide your kids to, you know, through all the things they need to, to do? I mean, they just didn't know, and so I didn't have that, that, you know, any of that guidance. And so I, my GPA in high school was always good. I always did, you know, well in school. But we think, frankly, college was was always an afterthought. It was just never something that you say. You know, most kids, you know, once they reach high school, tenth grade, they're they're getting ready to go to college. That was never me. It was frankly a last minute thing where I think I was a senior in high school and I went to a college fair by just by chance and um and I saw the the schools, a lot of them I was you know, I was learning about for the first time and um I applied to one school and and got in and 
and that's that's kind of how I ended up in college. <laughs> right. <laughs> that that'll that'll do. That'll work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and so it, it things uh, like you know not doing well on the on the test, you know, not doing well on, on the LSAT. Uh, to me, those are like first world, first world problems, I call them. First, first um, world problems, indeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, because I was going to say, we've talked about this before, which is why I know this, but for the listening audiences or listening to the podcast, um, you know, Solomon has told me, you know, neither one of his parents was at college. Uh, you know, I, I think you told me that they have, you know, the equivalent of like a sixth grade education. So it like wasn't this idea of, oh, yes, Solomon and his siblings are going to go to college. Like that didn't even that wasn't on either one of your parents' radar screen. Um, you know, it was it was about kind of seeing an example and falling into a career fair that was like, oh, this is a possibility. Um, you know, no one sort of had, had had made you aware that this is something that like you could do. Um, and it just, you know, to me sort of speaks to you. Um, one, that was a beautiful chance happening that you went to that career fair and, and got into the, the, you know, the school that was nearby, the local very good school that was nearby. Um, but also just like this idea of, oh, yeah, everybody goes to college. That is a very like first world American uh, line of thought. You know um, that that opportunity does not exist in certain places, and I think it's important to kind of like verbally underline that um, we take certain things for granted. And you know, certainly this country is not um, perfect, but 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 we don't uh, necessarily question certain givens. Um, like, oh, you can go to college. You're going to go to college, right? Like that's an opportunity that's available for everyone. Um, so. It's that that's an interesting point that you make. Um, you know, you've also said that uh, in our prior conversations that um, you know, seeing both your dad and your mom and how they handled um, their circumstances before you came to the U.S. was sort of pivotal in shaping your worldview. Um, you know, I sort of think about your dad and the scariness of getting on a boat with potentially a bunch of strangers and going across the sea and having the weight of, oh, I need to make some money because I got to get my family out of this situation. But um, you've told me um, some things about your mom and how, you know, she influenced you as well, her example. Could you could you tell us a little bit about that too? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you know, the reason why, why I'm not really phased by much um, you know, I've I've been blessed enough to to uh, frankly have had a great you know legal career so far. I've had you know practicing law is challenging. You know, I spent my fair share of time at two two major law firms. You know, billing hours and 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 you know at the, at the at the mo you know at the few times or the moments where I find myself stressed. And I'm always, you know, reminded of, of like Solomon, you've seen what real actual stress looks like, right? And right. and I, I, you know, as I said, like you know, leaving your wife and three babies to get on a boat to go to another country just so you can, you know, make sure that they're able to eat—that's stress. 
<laughs> right? That's um, right, right. So there's food on the table and being responsible for that. That's that's stress. You're right. You're right. That's stress. And 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 my mom, you know, being left in Haiti and having to make sure that, you know, uh four kids uh you know are 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 surviving or staying out of trouble or staying out of the street or, you know, having food you know, on the table for them, making sure that they're going to school. My mom, I was, you know, I, I, I'd call, you know, I, I like to use the term hustler. She was a hustler, right? And 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 she did not it. sit, she did not sit on, you know, on a chair waiting, you know, on a transfer, on a money transfer for my dad every month. She right. went out and and uh, just started doing what she needed to do to make sure that you know, her kids survived. And if that meant that she had to go get on a bus and travel from the northern side of of, of the island to, to Port-au-Prince um, every month to buy stuff to come back and sell at the local market so we can have clothes, so we can have food, et cetera, that's what she did. And so, you know, seeing them, my work ethic, I get from them. And, and that's, you know, that's why I, I really have never been you know, sitting, sitting in a big law office billing, you know, uh, I don't know, 200 hours a month. To me, like, that's, that's not stress. That's, that's a privilege in a way, right? I mean, right. I know it sounds weird to say, but, yeah. you know, if, if you've seen, if you've seen real struggle, like, right. you, you don't com- that's nothing to complain about. And so, right. my, so my worldview is really shaped by that upbringing and just kind of seeing the sacrifices that, that my parents have had to make, to make and, and, and the real struggle that they've gone through to allow me to be where I'm at right now. And, and, and so it's been, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. And so, you know, all the little hiccups and, 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 and setbacks and situations to me, I don't see them as, as I don't know, as setbacks. I, I'm, just, I'm just blessed to be where I am at this point, at this moment. And um, that's that's just kind of how you like. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's all in h- how you view the stress, and there's like a perspective I think that you have that's valuable. Um, you know, especially for folks that are uh, dealing with some unusual things in 2020. Um, you know, the last obviously year, and this will continue into the next few years, um, have been really sort of traumatic for some people. And, you know, I think you have this advantage, this, like, perspective of, um, you know, seeing how the other half lives, so to speak, um, you know, know, knowing what it's like to live in two very economically distinct countries, if you will. And given that, um, you know, I speak to, to, to young lawyers all the time, and, you know, one um thing that I I sort of, you know, hear and have heard a lot over the past year, let's say 12 months or so, is, you know, a great deal of upset about, you know, being furloughed, laid off, facing pay cuts, uncertainty about, you know, their careers and their personal lives. And, you know, a lot of them, especially if they're on the junior side, if they're millennial or Gen Xers, uh, I'm sorry, Gen Zers, they're too young to really have been 
impacted by the Great Recession back in you know 2008, 2009, 2010, um, and and many of them don't have a point of reference. Uh, you know, this is the you know for what they're experiencing. This is the first time as sort of like Type A, you know, kind of gunners. They're used to have, you know they were the valedictorian of their high school and their college, and they did well in law school, and everything's very been very smooth, um, you know, with very few hiccups until now. And I was wondering, you know, what advice you would give Solomon to um, those folks who are listening, who are going through, um, you know, some difficult times, perhaps for the first time in their lives. Yeah, no, we're going through <laughs> through some tough times indeed. You know, you have to be resilient. And, and, you know, I think that comes obviously with having dealt uh, with, you know, past hardships. Um, but it, it really, you need that to be able to withstand um, the tough times and, and, and also to maintain hope. And, and as you referenced, you know, the, the Great Recession back, back in, you know, 2008, I remember being in law school at, at the time, and a lot of my friends who were senior to me were getting offers pulled, and people were getting laid off, junior lawyers at law firms, and and you just have to maintain that mindset that it's going to get better, because it will, it will, times will get better, and the opportunities will come back. Um, and, and in the midst of it, the important thing, I think, uh, too, is you have to maintain a community you can't you can't do it alone law law is not a profession that you can go by doing alone and i don't think frankly i don't think i don't think any profession you can go by doing alone i think you need to maintain a network a support system people who you can reach out to and just talk right and just talk and 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 those people are probably people with you know past similar experiences who can able to who, who probably are able to offer you guidance and and who maybe are able to connect you with people who can ultimately ultimately give you uh, you know an opportunity maintaining a community is is important because you need you need a support system I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to do it alone uh you need a support system and and just stay resilient because i do think times time will get better Absolutely. Uh, I think that's great advice. Um, you know, it, it, it serves a network serves all types of purposes. Um, I think, as you pointed out, um, Solomon, it's, you know, it's a, it's a place of support. Um, it's a place for networking and finding other opportunities. It's a place to get advice from people who have gone before you and maybe have experienced some things that you haven't um and and it helps you get some perspective so i think i think that's a wonderful piece of advice well i just want to thank you so much for one giving me your time today sharing your experiences with our listeners um i know that they will get a lot out of your story uh, i know that i have myself solomon and um i just want to thank you so much for talking with us today thank you rebecca again i appreciate you having me absolutely Thank you for listening to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. Join us next time for another story about thriving after overcoming challenges. You can find Bouncing Back and other programming for lawyers on MLA's Legal Talk Network.